Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Every day, decisions are made across Maine that impact our environment, and Mainers play a crucial role as we speak up for climate action, the clear air, clear water, and open spaces that we all love. Come sit down with advocates and experts to discuss some of the most important stories that you need to know, what lies ahead, and hear what you can do about it. Thanks for listening as we share our view from the front lines. Welcome to another episode of Frontline Voices. Summer is in full swing and we've been lucky to have some wonderful weather, so I hope you're getting out there and enjoying it. I feel like I start every episode that way, but it's a big reason why so many of us love Maine. Um, Just yesterday, I went for a quick hike uh, with a friend on Streak Mountain, which provided some really stunning views of the Oxford Hills region and beyond to the White Mountains. As an added bonus, the blueberries were ripe and they were delicious. So um, that's something to check out if you're ever in that area, uh, for sure. I'm NRCM's, uh, I'm your host, NRCM's Advocacy Communications Director, Colin Durant. Um, Before we dig into this episode's topic, I wanted to mention that after 22 years of dedicated service to NRCM in various uh, roles, our CEO, Lisa Pullman, is bidding a fond farewell and retiring on July 8th. Over the past few weeks, um, NRCM staff and board have gathered to celebrate Lisa's really great legacy and wish her the best of luck on her new journey and retirement, just in time to enjoy the summer weather. So we're uh, wicked grateful for everything that Lisa has done for NRCM, and we can't hear about, I can't wait to hear about her adventures in her retirement. Thanks again, Lisa. Round of applause. Um, okay, we're going to get down to business. Uh, the news from Washington, D.C. has been extremely disappointing, especially the recent decisions from the U.S. Supreme Court that upended decades of established law. Uh, We want to talk about one of those decisions that could have implications for Maine's environment. So I've got NRCM's Climate and Clean Energy Director, Jack Shapiro, here to talk more about why it matters for Maine and what's next. Hey, Jack, how you doing? I'm doing great, Colin. Great to be back on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, So, Jack, as I said, the Supreme Court issued a major ruling about the ability of federal agencies, in this case, the Environmental Protection Agency, to crack down on carbon pollution, captured a lot of attention, um, was sort of uh, main leaders and and groups like NRCM expressed outrage at it. Uh, This was a decision that was sought by fossil fuel companies who want free reign to just pollute and make climate change uh, worse. So can you tell us about this case? It's called West Virginia versus EPA and what the majority of the justices said. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what this case was about was considering EPA's standards for carbon pollution from power plants under the Clean Air Act. Um, And in the rules that were under consideration, uh, EPA set overall pollution levels for states for, for carbon pollution and then gave the states the flexibility to meet those targets in a way that was the most cost effective and made the most sense for their state. So in a 6-3 ruling, um, the, the justices ruled that EPA could not take this uh, statewide system approach um, and could only look at individual power plants themselves, the, the pollution coming from you know, individual plants. So the, the issue here is that 
Congress created the EPA to use and gave them the authority and, and expected them to use their expertise to, to do what it took to protect our clean air, our clean water, and our public health. And these can be really complex and technical issues. And EPA's staff has the experience that they've developed over decades to, to follow the science where it leads and craft common sense and cost-effective rules. But unfortunately, the, the judges took um, what we consider to be an ideological approach here and set themselves in the seats of those technical experts in, in, as those technical experts um, where they're really not. Um, and, and that is a, a pretty disappointing outcome. Yeah, super disappointing. I mean, we know that because of EPA's expertise and the scientists at EPA, the experts, you know, the air is cleaner, the water's cleaner, there's less pollution. It's because we've got the EPA uh, doing what they're supposed to be doing. But let's talk about what the connection is to Maine. Why does this matter for our air here in Maine and for the health of our people? Yeah, well, I mean, this this ruling was about about climate change. I mean, that's what the initial uh, standards that EPA set were, were all about. And, you know, we should be clear, Maine is already experiencing the impacts of climate change. Um, we've already seen more flooding um, and extreme precipitation events, more high heat days, uh, declining snowpacks in the winter, increased tick populations. Um, you know, the Gulf of Maine is warming and, and that, you know, really unique ecosystem is, is under threat. And this decision, you know, will, you know, make no mistake, this will slow our progress on climate change. Um, to the specifics, you know, this rule was mostly about um, coal plants. That, that's what it would affect the most. And we don't have any coal plants in Maine, but climate one, climate change affects all of us, but mm -hmm. two, we're a downwind state. Um, and the burning of coal has a lot of other pollutants that come with it. Um, particulate pollution, which is linked to um, uh, heart and lung disease, um, asthma attacks in kids, um, and, and a lot of other pollutants. But the other alarming thing is that this is part of a longer, um, you know, conservative legal effort, um, which could have really big negative impacts on, you know, like you mentioned, our public service, public servants' abilities to, to do their jobs and implement these bedrock environmental laws like the Clean Air Act and Clean Water Act. You know, as you said, these have had incredibly positive impacts on Maine. You know, Maine's own Senator Ed Muskie wrote the Clean Water Act, you know, 50 years ago, inspired by, you know, wanting to clean up the, the Androscoggin River, which was, which was horribly polluted. You know, we had acid rain killing our forests and lakes. Um, you know, bald eagles almost went extinct. And, and now we can see them, you know, in, in places all across the state. So this court is treating this as an opportunity to advance a particular view of regulation. But here in the real world, you know, Maine has a lot at risk um, from, from unregulated pollution and, and everyone here in Maine should be really concerned. Yeah, it's, uh, it was definitely a disappointing um, decision for that reason. And I wanna just dive into um, those larger questions you were just talking, you just sort of alluded to and hear from you a little bit more about the some some of these these larger questions that that were at hand here about the you know the basic role of government, the role of these bedrock environmental laws to protect uh, the health of our people, the health of our environment. Can you just dig into that a little more? Yeah. Well, one important thing to note is that the court really went out of their way to make this ruling. 
Um, the, the standards that were in question here, one was the Obama administration's clean power plan, um, which was issued almost 10 years ago. Uh, and then the, the Trump administration rolled that back and put out their own uh, rule, which also was, is, is sort of never going to be implemented. So they took these two rules that, that were never going to come into place and um, surprised a lot of experts in environmental law by taking up this case in the first place. But what they did here was they used a theory called the major questions doctrine, um, which says that any rule, regulation, or standard um, coming from a, a federal agency that involves, you know, quote, major questions of policy has to be directly issued by Congress, not by a federal, not by a federal agency in the executive branch. But the problem with that is what is a major question isn't defined. And that gives the court a huge amount of power to say what standards that um, you know, might, protect, uh, might protect people or public health you know, can stand or not. So what this is, is an extremely conservative court taking huge amounts of discretion away, not just from uh, public servants with you know, expertise and authority to, to develop science-based you know, standards, but also away from our elected representatives in Congress to direct agencies to do so. You know, we got to remember, Congress already acted by passing the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act. They created the EPA. So this is a real power grab by the courts to be able to wave their hands and declare that certain standards set under these laws that Congress already passed, you know, have to go back to Congress. And Congress just doesn't have the expertise or the time to do this work. Um, that's why they delegate these complex issues to agencies and, and, um, and the staff there, these public servants who, who have the time and expertise to, to weigh different perspectives, evaluate the science, and, and take the time to get these things right. Hmm. That's super helpful. Um, I have major questions about their ruling. <laughs> Good one, Colin. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, all right. Well, let's shift gears. I, I want to talk about what's next. Like I said, this is a hugely, as we've talked about, this is a hugely disappointing decision, um, even if expected because of this court's radical majority. Um, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Um, uh, for those of us who care about climate action, it is a big blow. It adds to sort of the despair about our society's ability to really grapple with this challenge. But, you know, um, you know, I saw I, I've seen a lot of people talking about and one in particular, doc, Dr. Uh, Gill from UMaine, who um, has really who I hope to have on the podcast soon to talk about this. But she was just talking about how to direct your sort of anger into action on this. So I want to I sort of want to end this discussion of the, uh, the Supreme Court ruling about, you know, what do you see as the bright spots? How can we move forward? How can we shift this? despair, anger, frustration into action, uh, you know, what are signs of hope for, that you see? Yeah, well, there's, there's sort of three things that I could mention. And one is that the court, while they constrained EPA's ability to, um, to act in certain ways, they didn't take away EPA's, EPA's ability to set pollution standards for power plants altogether. Um, and they didn't, attack EPA's ability to regulate carbon pollution as a whole, which also underlies um, you know, uh, fuel efficiency standards for cars and, and some other things. Um, and that's definitely something that we'll, we'll need to uh, take a look at. But I think um, one silver lining there is that I, th I think it was clear to the court that that would, be, um, that would really raise 
um, a major uproar if they were to, to make um, a more broad ruling. And, and that's really a result of, 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 of groups like ours and our partners and, and all of our, our members and supporters and people listening who have taken climate action and gotten involved in, in the climate movement over the past bunch of years. Um, they really felt like that would have been a step too far. So that's one, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. The second is that this ruling is about EPA's authority about power plants, but there are a lot of other critical policies that Congress can act on directly um, mm-hmm. that don't have anything to do with federal agency decisions necessarily. Um, you know, there's a big set of climate investments in front of Congress right now that would make a huge difference in how quickly uh, we can adopt clean energy technologies and move away from fossil fuels. So Congress really needed to act before this ruling, and they really, really need to act now. Um, so people should uh, definitely be in touch with their members of Congress, you know, including both of our senators here in Maine, um, to, to tell them that acting on climate is a, is a big priority. And then the last thing I would say is that this ruling doesn't really do anything to slow our work here in Maine at the state level, um, but it does make it more important than ever. Um, you know, we know there are big benefits to to people in Maine uh, in the climate transition. Um, you know, there's jobs and, and economic benefits in, the, in clean energy. Um, there's lower fuel costs for driving and heating our homes. There's, you know, lower levels of pollution, more stable electricity costs. And all that is on top of reducing our risks and impacts from climate change itself. Um, so we really need to redouble our efforts here in, in Maine as well. And we're certainly going to be doing that as NRCM. Nice. Yeah, I know you and your team are focused on uh, making sure we implement that climate action plan, as you say, with ambition, right? Um, and but I, you know, talking about that, I, I want to now shift to a story that was in the news just the last couple of days, and we got a snapshot of what this future you talked about, this clean energy future, could look like um, um, when it comes to electricity, when it comes to our grid. Now, our listeners may have read or heard about a decision, this was in the Press Herald and Maine Public, a decision by the Public Utilities Commission on what's called a non-wires alternative case in Brunswick and Topsom. Um, So as you like to say, let's get a little wonky. Can you tell us about this case and why it matters for a clean energy future in Maine? Well, nobody loves wonking out more than me, Colin, but I I actually think this one is, I actually think this one is pretty straightforward. You know, we know that we're going to need to upgrade our electricity grid to meet our climate goals and incorporate lots of cheap and clean renewable energy and make sure people can get all those benefits from electrification and getting off of fossil fuels. But there's more than one way to do grid upgrades. Um, And in in 2019, the legislature passed a passed, like you said, a non-wires alternatives law. And that is exactly what it sounds like. Every time the utilities want to upgrade part of the grid, using an expensive poles and wires solution, we now have to evaluate non-wires alternatives. Um, So the case that you're talking about, which was just approved last week by the PUC, is going to save main ratepayers like like you and me and people listening, eight and a half million dollars over the life of the project. And it's gonna do that by using a set of much less expensive options, um, like energy efficiency and responsive battery storage, And that would all be super cool all by itself. But what's really exciting about this is that it's the the first case approved under this law, and it's a test case for what Maine's new grid planning law can deliver in savings if we apply this thinking across the the whole grid. So 
the grid planning bill, um, LD 1959, um, which we worked really hard uh, with, with our partners and legislators on this past session, you know, if we implement it correctly, you know, this could result in potentially hundreds of millions of dollars in lower costs for, for, this, uh, uh, for upgrading the grid to meet our, our climate needs. You know, today, we don't have the grid we need to meet the challenges of climate change. We don't have the grid we need to spread the benefits of clean energy to everyone all across the state. So grid planning includes a bunch of other provisions as well, um, as well as uh, you know, this sort of different thinking about um, you know, grid infrastructure investments. But altogether, it really puts what main people want and need, what we've decided uh, our direction is as a state uh, in terms of climate and clean energy, it puts all of that at the center of how we make these big investment decisions, rather than letting the utilities drive those decisions with you know, their own profits and benefits on, on their mind. So the grid, this grid planning process is, is gonna kick off uh, formally in November and, and we'll have a lot more coming on that. So folks should definitely stay tuned. It's such a great story. And um, also credit goes to, as I understand the Office of Public Advocate, right? And Efficiency Maine that worked hard on this non-wires alternative. I mean, when you talked about energy efficiency and battery storage, it also includes cool things like asking like commercial stores and others to dial down air conditioning, other heating, cooling in certain times to reduce that risk. And it's just, it's, it's so cool to, um, to have uh, the state thinking about those sort of solutions. Um, and I, I just love this idea of beginning to return our electric grid to main people to make sure it really benefits main people, not, not these like sort of mega investor owned utilities that are just seeking to make a profit. Um, I mean, I think like CMPs made the case that that, that, doesn't, that doesn't work that well. But um, Jack, thanks so much for joining us and talking about all this climate and clean energy stuff as usual uh, and what it means for what it means for Maine's people. I'm sure we're going to have you on again because, you know, climate is climate. The climate's changing. Stuff's happening. Can't wait to be back on. Awesome. Well, before we wrap up, I just wanted to remind everyone about the celebration on July 14th in Portland for this year's six Brookie Award winners. You'll hear some really inspiring talks from these wonderful young environmental leaders. Uh, you'll get to meet them in person. It's outside. So check out brookieawards.org to learn more. Uh, that's it for now. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. And again, if you haven't given us a review, please do that. That just helps spread the word about our podcast um, or tell your friends about us. And until next time, enjoy summer. Thanks for listening to Maine Environment Frontline Voices. If you enjoy this episode, you can subscribe to our podcast or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and several other podcast listening apps. Since 1959, NRCM has been tapping into the power of the Maine people, science, and the law to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. To learn more about our work, visit nrcm.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at NRCM Environment.